Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Poor little orphan Annie will never have that because her parents are dead. But she doesn't think they are. Because she's got what? A locket. Because she's got a locket and a note. That's a, that's a lot of pressure to put on a piece of jewelry. Uh, and it's a, You think it's a engagement rings ring. have it rough. A, mm-hmm. a broken locket in the hands of a Depression-era orphan? Forget it. I'm just happy that like the orphans didn't steal it, that they respected the locket. How did she hang on to that locket for so long? If she was placed on the doorstep of Miss Hannigan's home for orphans as a baby, right, with a locket. Yes. Do you think Miss Hannigan wasn't going to take that locket and pawn it when the going got tough? For sure. There's no way Annie was going to get a hang on to that locket. That is what we call a device, ladies and gentlemen. That is a theatrical device. I think we could also justify it by saying... That's just how tough Annie is. She's a, the, You can't even get close to that locket. She'll bite your goddamn she, finger <laughs> off before you get to that locket. <laughs> she is a scrappy. You know the original. You know that original orphan Annie at the Goodspeed got fired because she wasn't tough she was enough. Too sweet. Too sweet. They and say. And so who did they get? Old Andrew McArdle. Andrew McArdle. Yeah, she'll she'll bite off she'll, of something, not just your finger. She'll That's smack, what I think. She'll smack you for that locket. I'll tell you what. <laughs> you really will. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we're talking about Annie, and I'm really excited about it. One of the reasons I'm very excited about it is because Adam Wachter is here to talk about it with me. Hi, Adam. Hi. Hi, everyone. You are a very talented composer, oh, writer, thank you. musical director, but you might be most well-known. Probably. Only known. Yeah. the resident musical director of the show Encore. <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay. On Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Now, including you, the Annie episode. Exactly, which was, right. your, which was your very first episode. Is it going, are you going to get a season two, do you think? I hope so. I really hope so. For those so. who we don't know what I'm talking hear. about, can you give us a brief rundown of what Encore yeah, is? Yeah, Encore is a reality show on Disney Plus where every week for 12 episodes we take this group of people, adults now, who did a musical in high school and we remount their musical in five days and, and they're reunite not, them all. By all means, they're not professional oh, actors no. in any way sense of the word. No, they are just random people living their lives and Would, we make them get back on that stage and in the case of Annie, 
put that curly red wig back on, that little red dress on a 40-year-old woman. And she belts out tomorrow and we do a musical for all their friends and family. And how much <laughs> time do you have? Is it five days? It's five days. Yeah. And it's fully orchestrated. Like you have yeah. a band. We, have new, we get new orchestrations for every show because we reduce the original. We usually do like between eight and ten That's so musicians, great. local musicians. I yeah. rewatched that Annie episode yesterday. Oh, you did? And <laughs> I got Weeby the first time I saw it, and I got Weeby the second yes! time. I've realized through this podcast that I'm a total Hufflepuff and just, like, <laughs> cry at the drop of a hat. Oh. But particularly when it comes to musical theater. Yeah. For some yeah. reason, okay, more often than not, they're doing it for their kids. Mm-hmm. So when their little kids are in the audience and they're freaked out backstage, the the grown-ups are oh, yeah. freaked out backstage. Because oh, yeah. they're completely unprepared because you can't be prepared for something like this in five days. No, and especially when you're you're not doing it regularly. Right. And so they're so nervous and then they go out and then the camera cuts to the kids and their faces I just know. light up. They always point and they're like, that's my daddy and or like, that's my mommy. And seeing that magic, I just, it just felt so sweet. I know. And actually the thing I'm like most proud of with Encore is that all the um, participants, the alumni, mm-hmm. like – Across the board at the end of the week are like, oh, I had a great time. Oh, and see, I'm glad great. I did it. No one, no, and even after actually they see the episode, and some, I don't know if you've seen the whole thing, but there are some uh, cast members some of the that, that get, yeah, they're sort of like painted a little bit in a negative light, which I think they sort of did to themselves. Mm. But even after the, their episodes aired, a lot of them messaged me and they're like, no, I th- thought it was great. I loved it. And I was like, oh, God, okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah, great. I, I haven't seen all of them. I was a little worried about the Daddy Warbucks when. Oh. Yeah, Jeremy. He's someone who comes off for a while as kind of like abrasive. I was and then at, he gets a little redemption arc with his yeah, cancer. Which was sweet. Yeah. It was actually a very sweet arc. Yeah, he was actually really nice. They were all nice. I remember I was out of town doing a show, and so I was going to a different church, like a different congregation. Oh, right, because you're like a big Mormon. Yeah, big yeah, old, yes. Big old gay Mormon. Big old gay Wow, I, we should have a podcast about that. Yeah. What is that like it's for tricky. you? I can imagine. It's tricky. There's nothing better than a Mormon on stage. There's something in the blood. <laughs> you know, they all why, why is it that you all are so good at musical theater? I I mean, music is in the in the culture. In the culture and dance, a mm-hmm. lot of dance. Those huff people. Oh, the yeah. My god. Yeah, there's a that the ballroom team at BYU is insane. I'm sure. I'm sure it's, it's got to be the best in the country. Half the cast of Dancing with the Stars is Mormon, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, certainly raised that way. Yeah, 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 that's the, what I mean. Yeah. The um racially Mormon. <laughs> in the same way that I'm like racially Jewish, but I don't do anything about it. You know how in the Revival of Cinderella they had all those amazing costume changes? Like I swear that those were invented yes. by the BYU ballroom team. Like the magnetic quick change stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where you like turn around and all of a sudden you're dressed yeah, like that couple else. on America's Got Talent. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. they always at the end they always dump like a thing of glitter over you and you, and you dress. You know <laughs> exactly. What I mean? Yeah. That's oh, I didn't even finish telling the story. But so what? when I was in, I went to that different ward, that different congregation. Oh God! Right. And uh, there was this guy speaking, and I was like, this guy kind of seems like an a hole. Oh. While he's t- he's like you know giving us a, a speech from the pulpit, yeah, and that which is a terrible thought to have at church. Well, but like, also that probably stops you from really like listening and learning, oh, right? If but you I'm don't just like the I'm person. getting like a hole vibes from him. I'm like, okay. what is going on? I don't, yeah. I, and I don't want to be judging him, whatever. And then he casually lets it slip that he works in law enforcement, and I go, oh, that's what it is. Like, he's not an a-hole. He's just a police officer. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was actually Jeremy from the Annie episode of Encore. (laughs) But that's kind of – that was the energy I was getting from Jeremy too. Where he – when you work in law enforcement, you just have that like – 
Maybe you, you sort of thing. have to because you have exactly. to sort of assume authority in I any can't, situation. I can't blame them for that. No, I guess not. He, yeah, he did come off a little bit. I think, I think it all stems from insecurity, don't well, you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah. most most stereotypical masculinity, I would say, stems from insecurity. Let me ask you this about Mormons. Yes, circumcised. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it sounded yes. like that means they just cut off half of it. Right. What is that? <laughs> well, I, w- I was going to say like, but not do you ritually. Have to? It's not like ritual. It's not ritually like Jews. No, like Jews, you, you. I just went to my nephew's bris in December. That was um a full experience. And then on my sister's and, dining room table, and do they snip snip? And and does he kiss it? No, that's just the crazy Orthodox ones who okay. like transmit the herpes that we we're talking yeah. about. All right, let's talk okay, about Annie. Let's talk about Annie. Annie. I brought you a gift. You brought. Do you want to? Do you want to show me? I want to show you what the <gasps> gift is, and I'm going to give it to you. It's a real gift. No way. Are you ready? Oh my gosh! I don't even. I need to think. I need to prepare. I don't know if I. This is a souvenir program that I bought thirty minutes ago at the <laughs> Iliad bookstore down the street. <laughs> it is a souvenir program from Annie the Musical. I think from the original production. Oh my There's gosh! And I don't know who any of this cast is because it's obviously like Jane Connell. Who's that? She's a, like she's a famous I don't lady. Know who that is, but look who was who. Look who played Kate, Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald. This is yours to keep. You are kidding me. No, you have it. Oh my gosh! Thank you. You're so welcome. It was three ninety five. What a gift. That is Chuck Bergman. I know him. Oh my god! You should have him sign it and then resell it back to the bookstore. <laughs> oh my gosh! He's gonna die. There you go. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah. That's history. Look at this. They have pictures. They have their headshots in this program. And then a picture of them but as then, the character. Exactly. I think that's a great strategy. And I will tell anyone listening who's about to make a souvenir program for their own production, that works great. Yeah. See the headshot and right next to it, see them in costume so that you can look up on stage and be like, oh, that's that person. Exactly. Because I'll tell you what, people in headshots, and I speak from experience, <laughs> aren't as good looking in person. Not truthful. They do not necessarily look like they're headshot. Faithful representations yeah. of the humans. Also, it helps you if you're um, a stage door Johnny to be like, oh, you. You, because you're... <laughs> You were a redhead in the show. Yeah. Why are there so many redheads in musical theater? Well, in Annie particularly. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing, you think? Redheads in musical theater? Yes. I feel like most women really? most women hit the age of 40 and they're like, oh, I'm 40. I'm a character actress. I, I dye better my dye hair my hair, hair red. red. Do you know what? Now that you mention it, that's a really good point. No, I don't know why. That's really true. Not with men as much. No. Well, because it usually falls out. Oh, right. Well, not these days. Not with Propecia. Thank you. Thanks, Propes. Thanks, Propecia. Yeah. <laughs> but you got those nice Jewish curls. I do have the Jewish curls. Yeah. these They're not going yeah. anywhere, are they? Or can you feel them? Propecia. Feel? We don't know. Okay. Well, there you go. I hope not. Just, That's why I take yeah, it every day. Yeah, just be on it. Oh, yeah. I'll just be on it. Who needs a sex drive? Not me. I need hair. I'm on television. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> Annie... Annie. Annie, Annie. Do you like the song Annie? That song that I just sang? Yes. Or do you like the song from the 80s film, We Got Annie? How Better. does We Got Annie go? She's like a shine in your shoes and telling the blues that's great. It's the one that Anne Ranking dances to. Obsessed. Do you know what? I haven't seen that movie in like 
over a decade. Oh, I hate right. to say, and I was going to watch it in preparation for this, but instead I watched the Audrey McDonald, Victor Garber Fair enough. one. Because I a... only had time for the one. No, it's a, it's... And I thought, and you what's know... on Disney Plus? This one. <laughs> that's a, that, it's actually a great choice. Yeah, it's it a great is. choice. It's a great version. It's more, I think it's more faithful to the stage show in many, many ways oh, than that crazy movie. For sure. That no Punjab to begin with. No. <laughs> no poor Punjab. No crazy, no crazy uh, final scene. Oh my God, with a helicopter. There's I a heli- remember that ladder like, terrified me as a kid. And it's not even a ladder. She's climbing the tracks. It's like a bridge. Oh, right. The bridge goes up. Oh my God. And that is it's like, It girl, becomes like an action film. Going? It's like, am I watching the Avengers? No, I'm watching Annie. You're watching Annie. Uh, you could have fooled me. She's like, I just don't know where she thinks she's going to go by climbing up that thing. <laughs> she's just terrified. She's a child. She's a child. What a crazy thing Annie is that there's and just then this Tim, kid like running around. And then Tim Curry is like, I'm going to kill gonna her. kill you. Like, you know what we need in this musical? Infanticide. Great. <laughs> Sign me up. There's already alcoholism. What are you going to do? That's right. That's a, it's a, it's, do you know what? There's, you know, there's a novelization. Yes. By Thomas that Tom Meehan. Yeah. I've not read it. Have you read it? No. I would very much like to read it because I was just reading about it, and apparently it is dark. Unless people really know Annie and, like, have done it and understand sort of the heart involved mm-hmm. and, like, the darkness, I think people in their heads, when they think of Annie, think children's theater. They think brash mm-hmm. children belch Shouting. out really annoying earworm songs. Yeah. And there's an element of that to it. But, like, there's other stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're in the 1970s, yeah? And there's a composer named Charles Strauss. Charles Strauss is, at this point, very, very successful. Famous. Bye Bye Birdie. Bye Bye Birdie, applause, yeah. both huge hits. He's looking for, you know, a new project, and his friend Martin Charnin calls him up, and they're going to have this little meeting. So Charles Strauss uh, shows up. It's him, it's Martin Charnin, and this guy named Thomas Meehan. And... Thomas, good old Tom, has never written a musical before, but Martin worked with him on like a TV special, and so he brings him in thinking that he'll be great. Spoiler alert, he is great, (laughs) and wrote scripts for both the producers and Hairspray. Like, he's phenomenal. He's amazing. He knows how to write a joke. He sure does. So they're all sitting down, they're having lunch, and Martin Charnin goes, I have this great idea, we're going to make a musical out of the comic strip Little Orphan Annie, mm-hmm. and it's going to start Bernadette Peters. What do you think they were eating at the lunch? I'm going to say pastrami. <laughs> on rye. Yeah. Yeah. If it's Charles Strauss, it has to be like full-on Fabulous. food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of a whole bowl of ver- pickles of various sort of sourness on yes. the table. Yes. That's the best, isn't yeah. it? With a chocolate phosphate on the side. Chocolate phosphate. Wow. Mm-hmm. We're hitting all the spots. I agree. I'm, That's I'm a great a lunch. That's a great lunch. I don't eat meat anymore, but... If I did, really? I'd eat that much. Yeah. Do you miss it sometimes? Or not really? I did until last night when I watched Okja in the hotel room. Oh. Jesus. Then I was like, I'm I'm happy with my decision. That's Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. I still eat fish. I love sushi, so I don't think I could give that up. No, I can't. I still eat fish. I, I mm-hmm. won't give up uh, fish. So they're sitting there and they're like, um, okay, first of all, the comic strip isn't the, like they don't have eyes, right? Like. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> like the illustrations are of these people with no eyes, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's fine. They'll they'll have eyes." And then and then they said, "But also, isn't that girl like ten? He's like, "Actually, she's eleven. Mm. And so Bernadette, Bernadette, not eleven. Oh, how old was she at the time? Forty. I mean, probably looked the exact same. And probably it was still that porcelain skin. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but definitely not eleven. So uh, he's like, "Okay, whatever. But it's a great idea. They go away." But they decide to actually start working on it. 
And when they start working on it, they realize, oh, there's something here. They create a show, they start playing it for backers, and literally nobody wants to produce it. Like, zero interest. Even Charles Strauss, who's had these hits and has producers in the back of his pocket, nobody wants to throw money at this thing. But they do play it at some point for the guy who runs the Goodspeed Opera House in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Michael Price. What's his name? Michael Price. Michael Price, thank you. And he passes, Mm -hmm. but then a year later, he calls Charles Strauss from, like, Europe— and Charles Strauss answers the phone, and Michael <laughs> this Price— is a very detailed story. Right? Thank Charles you. Strauss puts down his fourth pastrami sandwich, sandwich. of the day, and picks like, up the phone. He's like, okay, uh, just a second, one more bite of pickle. Then he, <laughs> <laughs> to wash down the pastrami, you Thank need you. it. You need Thank the you. juice, yeah. So he picks up the phone. Michael Price says, hey, my wife and I are in Europe. We keep singing these songs, and we couldn't figure out what they were from, and then we realized that they're from Annie. Wow, just from that one backers audition. Exactly, and couldn't so Charles Strauss is thinking, okay, you heard these songs a year ago, and you're still humming them. They must be good. So long story short, too late, Goodspeed Opera House <laughs> decides we're going we're gonna to do it. Hooray! Right? Yeah. They cast the show. <laughs> they, they get Dorothy Loudon, who is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Listening to it recently to the original Broadway cast, I was— amazed by Dorothy Loudon how good like vocally she is and so on and this is like before auto-tune and everything mm-hmm. she is in the center of the pitch but then and Little Girls is flawless and the vocal sort of control over it is impeccable but then you get to Easy Street and she's just screaming she's just in the background going like and it's nonsense and then there's like a weird classical Irish tenor playing rooster like what's happening that gorgeous tone yeah do you know what? That's what I love so much about Dorothy Loudon is that she can – she has that – like she she does all the gravelly yeah, stuff. But then, but then still has crystal that – Crystal clear and that, the, the that, faster jazz vibrato. Exactly. Oh, it's good. I don't know how she does both. I, and I, I have don't never know heard, how she does it. And I've never heard uh, Miss Hannigan be, be able to do that. Queen of the Stardust Ballroom. They, <laughs> I love you so much for that. <laughs> Let's go back to the cartoon, like the comic strip. Oh, yeah. I've so, never read it. So Harold Gray, is that his name? Let me check my Why notes. not? Yeah. Hmm? So the comic strip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all right. So the comic strip was uh, created by Harold Gray in 1924, and it first appeared in the New York Daily News, which I've never read. Okay. But the characters that's were. That's the one that uh, Carrie Bradshaw wrote her column for. Really? No, that's a joke. That was oh. the New York Star, which is, doesn't exist. Wow. See? Oh, you, could, not, you, you could don't fool watch me with City? anything. I mean, I've seen episodes. I've oh. seen all of the important episodes. No, no, no. Every episode is important. <laughs> you must watch the entire thing and okay, both fair movies. Enough. And both movies. Yes. I've seen the first one. I didn't see that the, the second, the second one, one feels problematic. Terrible. Deeply, it's deeply it's problematic. absolutely terrible, but it still bears watching. Okay. Liza Minnelli's in it. She sings single ladies at a gay wedding. I can't. And it's fun in that actually first scene is the gay wedding, and you can play like spot the Broadway chorus boy because they're all in it. Just everybody. Yeah. Back in the day, actually, I played piano for the auditions for that scene. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like 10, 15 years ago. I don't even know. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. So the characters of the comic strip originally were number one, Annie, yeah. obviously. We got Daddy Warbucks, mm-hmm. which, in case you haven't thought of this, his last name is War Right, because he made all his money war profiteering. The In the comic strip, it says that he made money from every bullet. Like, every bullet that was used, he got some cash. So that's why he's, a, imagine he's a billionaire. Those residuals on bullets. Then you've got Mrs. Warbucks. Oh, twist. <laughs> different. Yes. Very different than the musical. Daddy Warbucks had a wife named Mrs. Warbucks, and she was actually a bad guy. <gasps> she didn't like Annie. 
nobody likes Annie. Well, and then <laughs> and then you've got Miss Hannigan, but it's not Miss Hannigan. It's Miss Asthma. Asthma. Basically, what happens with the comic strip is Annie goes to live with Daddy Warbucks. Mm-hmm. They immediately connect. Mm. Mrs. Warbucks hates Annie, so whenever Daddy Warbucks leaves, she sends her back to the orphanage. She has, like, some crazy run-in with Miss Asthma, and then Daddy Warbucks comes back and rescues everything. Oh, good. And that's kind of the the cycle that but continues. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So and then you they, would can you, you would find l- them now? Are they published mm-hmm. in like an I mean, anthology? I'm, they probably, you probably have them at the can, Iliad. But I, I'll stop on the, at the Iliad on the way out <laughs> and pick it up. But I also read them online. Oh, great. They have a lot online. All right. The humor is very like a lot of ah shucks and and like the the specific way that they speak uh, is very stylized. Okay, and this was like the 20s or the 30s? This is 22, 24. Is, oh, 24. Me. So pre-great depression. Pre-great depression. And then and then the depression hits and it continues. Oh wow, popular. And as it as And does dep- Annie ever get older or anything? No. No, no it's, it's kind like of like a Simpsons. The Simpsons, yeah. yeah. And as the you know, the depression hits and everything, they start becoming more satirical and you know Ooh, she got a point of view mm-hmm. yeah okay and, and annie really does become kind of a progressive uh, commentary on oh. politics and does she change out of that little dress and put on a pair of pants <laughs> she's like, go off to work she has on her like bandana she's like we can do it <laughs> and but more like the fact that daddy warbucks is so republican conservative rich and then she is oh. the symbol of the streets and youth and optimism yeah. and how are they working together and how are they not. Interesting. They explored a lot of stuff. Okay. Maybe not totally upfront, but when you look deep, it's all there. Yeah, yeah. So Thomas Meehan, when he's creating the script for it, he mm. reads all of the comic strips to right. try and mine some sort of structure, plot structure from right. the different stories. He couldn't find anything. No. Makes so his own story he makes up. up his own. Yeah. And can you name all of the orphans? I want no. to see. Pepper, Kate, Molly, July, Annie. Two more. There's two more? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I don't know. Tessie. Tessie. Tessie's the one who always is like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I think, well, the only real time I've done. Oh, Duffy. Nobody cares about Duffy. The only real time I've done Annie, I think, was on Encore. Fair enough. And I'm actually shocked I remember those. I can't believe you remember We shot this a year ago. A year ago. I remember Kate because I just saw Molly Ringwald's little face in that souvenir play, though. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's awesome. Wow. All right. Good for all this. So it's it's a home for orphan girls. It's a home for orphan girls. They all happen to be around sort of the same age. Ish, except for Molly, who's the youngest. (laughs) Yeah, but we don't have any, like, two-year-olds, strangely. No. Maybe they just keep them in another room. Maybe. The basement, I mean, but Annie, at some point, was a two-year-old because she was dropped off there as a baby. Yeah. So maybe they just stopped taking in new ones at a certain point, like when the Depression hit. Yeah. Because they were like, Miss Hannigan's like, my titties are dry. I can't do this. So the... Or they're just filled with booze, one or the other. The, yeah, they didn't have formula back in those days, didn't you? Someone had to nurse Annie. Think about it. It was Miss Annie again. Wow. Right? No wonder she's pissed off. <laughs> her tits are sore. Oh, oh would, God. She's had an orphan after orphan just chewing on her she's nips. She's just bleeding. Oh, God. Wow. Miss Hannigan, I would be miserable, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah that's rough. That I gives a whole new subtext to little girls. Think about it. Everywhere I look, look I, I can, can see. And then she just holds them. herself. Oh, I can see them. 
the sound of the song happens and she just starts lactating and she's like, no. (laughs) That's not going in. Okay, so so the comic strip, even though the comic strip started in 1924, they decide to set the story in the 30s smack in the middle of of the Great Depression. Great. Love that choice. And the show originally started... With this, like, Apple selling number. Right. Right? Right. And two for ten. Right? two for five? It's two for five at the end, but it's two oh, for ten at the beginning. Right. It changes. Yeah. And because uh, that's kind of a famous thing. You know, we, we see the... Apple we, we've, se- we've seen those pictures of I Apple I love sellers. that, like, oh, you don't have a job anymore? It's the depression? What could I do? What could I do? I guess sell apples. Everybody loves apples. Everybody loves apples. Where is everybody getting these apples? I don't know. There's nothing else to sell. Sell, sell pencils. Sell... Condoms. That's what they needed in the depression. <laughs> you know, invent baby formula. I don't Someone know. Someone invent baby formula. Someone invent baby formula for poor Miss Hannigan. Nobody needs any more apples. Sell an orange. Everyone out there is going to have freaking scurvy. Everybody, Give us some vitamin C. Apparently, everybody really loved apples. Anyway, this whole so the whole show started with this apple number to kind mm. of introduce the Great Depression. And at some point in the middle of the whole process, they'd realize that by starting with that, even though you are, you know, dictating the time and the the struggles of mm-hmm. the lower class, we're not hearing what Annie wants. I think there's a great lesson in here for anyone who's like writing musicals or developing yeah. musicals, directing new musicals, because you listen to all these cut songs and they're all for secondary characters. Like, focus, focus it focus in. It. Focus in. Iris in. These are your characters. Let them sing their songs. Absolutely. Yeah. When they realize what the problem is, then they write this beautiful song called Maybe, which is which is a really beautiful a song. really great song. And, and very ballsy to start the show off, I think, with that kind of a ballad. Because mm-hmm. we hear that before we hear Hard Knock Life or anything. Yeah. We go straight from the overture into the scene and right into Maybe. And it's like... Whoa, you're expecting this giant audience of people to just, like, focus in on a little girl singing a ballad the fr- right off the bat. You're absolutely right. That's impressive. It's ballsy. It is. It's, it's ballsy. It's a ballsy move. And it totally panned out. Oh, yeah. Because if it's – and when it's done well, you're on her side. You know mm-hmm. exactly why the show is called Annie mm-hmm. and you're in her corner. <laughs> yeah. And you get it. You mm-hmm. get, like, her I want song right off the bat. Yeah, I she love wa- it. She wants parents. Yeah. She has this note – that uh, she always keeps with her, that the orphans have her read because in many ways it instills hope in them mm-hmm. that maybe one day their parents will come back from her. Right, or any parents will come back. Mm-hmm. Now, they hear at some point in the run at Goodspeed that the reviewer from the New York Times is coming to review the show out of town. Mm-hmm. And they're freaked out. They're like, oh, sure. crap. I hope he likes it because maybe if he likes it, then producers will step up yeah. and help us get take it to Broadway. Yeah. So he comes and he sees it and he hates it <sighs> and reads a, and just writes a horrible review about them. And they're like, we're, we're sunk. We're, we're sunk. dead in the water. We're never moving in. Yeah. Charles Strauss's friend who he had worked with comes to see this show and she actually says, you know what? There's a great show here and I think that my friend Mike needs to come see it. Uh-huh. So – the Mike turns out to be Mike, Mike Nichols. Nichols, right? Who is a very oh. famous theater director at this point. He directed all of the Neil Simon plays, like mm-hmm. Odd Couple and Prisoner, said Second Street and Second Avenue. Second Avenue yeah, thank yeah, you, yeah. and Plaza Suite. Yeah. And at this point, he had also won an Academy Award because he had gone into film. Plaza Suite, make a quick connection. Now starring Sarah Jessica Parker, and it's uh, Broadway. Or is it Broadway right? bound? Yeah, it's in Boston, and then it's going to Broadway. How cool! Sarah Jessica Parker, who was in. Annie. Annie. I love SJP. Me too. 
Okay, so Mike Nichols comes in. He had won an Oscar for The Graduate mm. and also had directed Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. So this is like a legitimate— Big deal. Hollywood director. Right, yeah. but also associated with grown-up stuff. Right. So the fact that his name is on this quote-unquote kid musical, kid musical yeah. now is bringing it some sort of legitimacy. Mm. And he really likes the show and he decides to produce it. So even when you see when you see the original poster for the musical, it says Mike Nichols presents— Right. Annie. But he did not direct it. No, he that did was not still direct Michael it. Price from Goodspeed. No, Michael no. Price didn't direct it either. Who directed it? Martin Charnin. Oh, of course. Because he and Charles Strauss got in this huge fight where Martin Charnin, who, by the way, was one of the original Jets in from West Side Story, from West Side as, Story. A, as an actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said, I have to direct this. And if you all don't let me, then I'm going to work with a different composer. And Charles Strauss was like, well, then I guess you need to go work with a different composer because yeah. you've never directed anything. I'm sorry, who do you think you are, Martin Charnin? Right. Like, I get the, like, the lyrics are good, but, uh, can you, like, who, who, who do you think he was going to get? He said, the only way that I will let someone else direct this is if it's Jerome Robbins, George Abbott, or, like, like it was ridiculous. Why? Why did he think he was, like, so good at this? Why? Because think- it was his idea. I think he had this, yeah. like, vision that he he thought he was the only one who could bring it to fruition. Well, he was certainly the only one who could write rhyme Times Square with I'm Square. So I, good for you, Martin Chard, and I guess you win in the end. And he does win. They finally let him direct it. Yeah. The thing that makes me laugh a little bit is that Mike Nichols' name is above the title, yeah. so everyone assumes that Mike Nichols directed it. Of course. It's like, should. oops, they let Martin Charnin direct it, but then everyone yeah. thinks that Mike Nichols did it. But who's laughing now? Because Martin Charnin is making bank. Because he, he kept he directing it for be. decades. He yeah, directed all he the, did revivals the revivals. And I think there's probably like a current Networks tour out at some point I'm that sure. he probably directed. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the Annie guy. And he, he had the vision and he made it happen. So good for him. Other shows? He worked on um, Two by Two with Richard Rogers. That was like one of his first oh, things. Oh, I don't know Two by Two. Yeah. Should I? Do yeah. I need to? Okay. No, there's like one good song. All right. And uh, Madeline Kahn was in it. Oh, Madeline Kahn. So that's cool. That is cool. But it's kind of famous for Danny Kaye. Just, he kind of took over the show and made oh, it the I Danny Kaye show, and I it was see. no longer a, a, an actual a show. Thing. Yeah. Okay. They open out of town. They open in Washington, D.C. with now Mike Nichols attached. They're making changes, and then it transfers to Broadway and becomes a huge hit. It opens huge. in 1977, I believe, mm-hmm. and runs for six years. Yeah. 2,000-some performances. Yeah. Yeah. One of the longest running at the time. Mm-hmm. Certainly set, like, a record for the theater that it was in. Yeah, the Alvin. Uh, let's let's go through the plot super quick, yeah? Okay. Because this is what we always do on the show. So it starts with Maybe, mm-hmm. right? Then after Maybe, Annie tries to escape. Yeah, she's going to leave the orphanage. Right. Miss Hannigan, Miss Hannigan, who's the mean owner of the yeah. orphanage. She comes in and stops that and also makes them get right to work and make this place shine like the top of the Chrysler building. And apparently in the novelization by Thomas Meehan, like they also like they sew garments in the basement and she beats them. And oh, good heavens. Like it's real serious. Like she is not a good. Because sometimes you see it in Miss Hannigan, sort of likable and she's funny. Like a Cruella DeVille. We love to hate her. Yeah, we love to hate her, but she doesn't do anything like bad. But like I think in Thomas Meehan's mind, like. No, she, she was she evil. She was a rotten person. She was not a nice woman. So then they sing Hard Knock Life. Mm-hmm. Now, that interval in Hard Knock Life is one of the biggest in all musical theater. Which interval? Da-da-da-da. 
da, da, oh my da. God. Well, the whole thing is so high. Yeah. Re-listening to it, those girls are singing so high. And I get, like, they're young. Yes. And so they can. But why? It is so strident. Yes. Charles Strauss said that the reason that the orphans were hired was because there were like only seven girls that they found that could actually sing that. And so they were the ones who booked it. Don't spread that around because that's what girls like in New York think now. They're like, oh, if I'm if I'm if I can just sing high enough, I'll book it. Oh, my God. It's like, no, that's not what anybody's looking for. Well, yeah. I mean, it also might be different if you're 10. Yeah, maybe. But well, have you seen have you seen Life After Tomorrow? That's the big question. The documentary about the former. Oh, nannies. no, I haven't. Seen oh, that. you should. Oh, my God. These kids were fucked up because <laughs> there were like not the same laws back then yes, as there are course. now so in terms of like the tutoring that they were supposed to have and they were like Annie was doing eight shows a week mm-hmm. where nowadays like with Matilda and, and things yeah, like they that they were sh- sharing it between they three share, people and like they and they were in Times Square in the 70s which was a rough part of town For at sure. a rough time and you know Andrew McArdle at the age of 13 was going to Studio 54 and like partying the night away and Oh my gosh. Snorting up who knows what. And they were like little kids running around and they I don't know that they were really being chaperoned because I don't think the child entertainment labor laws specifically at that time were like as stringent as they are now. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know if there had ever been a show with this many principled children. And probably there shouldn't be. <laughs> because that's a lot. You don't want well, to be they, backstage. They they always with say that. don't work with animals, don't work with children. Right. And Annie, you have to do both. You have to do both. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, so after Hard Knock Life, then Annie <laughs> Annie jumps into the laundry bin because she realizes, yeah, oh, Mr. She, Bundles. Yeah, she, That's the part I'd play, Mr. Bundles. Mr. Bundles. <laughs> no, I don't want to deal with that cart. Everyone, you'd be, I'd be Rooster. We, we're going we back. Rooster. So everyone would be Rooster. Yeah. That's the only part anyone wants is to be Rooster or Lily St. Regis. I, well, Lily St. Regis would be great. Yeah. I would actually want to be Grace Farrell, but only if would it was you? the Anne Ranking version. Yeah, because you don't want to be that hooty hoot soprano in the original cast recording. Yeah, bless her heart. Oh, that's a rough. That's a rough. Uh, that's a that's taking your head voice low. <laughs> I, you know, she's Susie like, will pick out all your clothes. I don't even know how she's doing it. <laughs> At some point, just transition into your chest. I don't think she can. She's like an 18-year-old girl just going into musical theater school for the first time where they don't think they can belt yet. It's like, no, you can do it. Just sing it like you would speak it. And she's in the cast with Laurie Beachman. Uh, Greatest belter of all time. It's like, take a tip, take a pointer. Laurie Beachman is belting higher than Grace Farrell is head voicing. (laughs) It's crazy. It's like a Twilight Zone universe. Okay, so she escapes with Mr. Bundles. She escapes with Mr. Bundles. She goes to Hooverville. Yeah, she and um, Hooverville is the pits. Now, <laughs> yeah. one of the big things about this podcast is that I've learned most of my U.S. history from musicals. Absolutely. Case in point right here. Hoovervilles were tent communities mm-hmm. that people in the Great Depression created yeah. and named after Herbert Hoover right. because he was this horrible pr- president who got who them into the Great Depression the, yeah, yeah, exactly. in the first place. Yeah, they were homeless. They were homeless people living on the streets, so they built little towns for themselves because they had a, no choice. And this is actually a great song, too. This was the song, like, when I was little, I would always skip past. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, oh, actually, I really dig See, it. See, that's how I feel about You Won't Be an Orphan for Long. <gasps> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So they they sing the song about, like, living in Hooverville. In a shanty, yeah. In a shanty. And it's, like, very biting. But then 
sounds very you know and fancy right. you know so it's kind of playing against each itself the ensemble in the show is bizarre bizarre right because they just play like these sort of communities of people they're either servants they just randomly or they're appear. like they just appear they and, used to have a bunch of numbers they all got cut yeah and and i think it would yeah. have been even more random but but now it's like they have less to do and it's still random mm-hmm. very random and how do you even count? Because they should all be sort of character types, but then there's like dance numbers. Mm-hmm. It's a strange sort of yeah. It's a strange, it's a strange, thankless ensemble. Period. Yeah. While Annie is on the street, she finds a dog named Sandy, Aww. and she connects to the dog because he doesn't have a home either. That's right. And and because it's a dog, what kid doesn't like a dog? Exactly. It's a best friend. Yeah. She sings a song to cheer him up, but of course, it's also to cheer her up. Called Tomorrow, which Tomorrow. Be- has probably become one of the most famous yeah. theater songs of all time. Yeah, with like What I Did for Love and Send in the Clowns mm-hmm. and Music of the Night. Exactly. Yeah. And Andrea McArdle just belts that voice. What's fascinating is that she still sounds like Andrea McArdle. That so voice little, was already there. A little trickle of coke at the back of her throat. <laughs> no wonder she could sing so high. Exactly. She, she had high. no sinuses. She had no nasal cavity left. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, my gosh. This show has a dark history. I don't think I realized it it until now. It really does. It's a dark piece. The thing that I love, I I think, most about Andrea McArdle in Tomorrow is that at the very end, she does that awesome diphthong. She goes, day away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She does it also on. Um, it's not. It's not a diphthong, but she goes to the consonant so early, and I think I'm gonna like it here. Oh, here. I know I'm gonna like it here. <laughs> is crazy. Why does she hold it for so long? Nobody knows. Do you know what I will say? I don't. Who? Who? We should look up who music directed that originally, Annie. Do oh, we know who it was? I don't know who it was. We should look up. I don't want to shit talk other music directors, but just maybe it wasn't the case live. But on the cast recording, that is some sloppy music direction. The cutoffs are. All over the place. Really? People are just singing as loud as they can with no sense of like, are we singing the same rhythms, the same pitches? It's sort of madness. I mean, it was the time though. Yeah, they just sort of sing as loudly as you possibly can and we'll yeah. just figure it out later. Yeah. It's probably Martin Charn and he's like, I'll do that too. <laughs> I've written it, I've directed it. What else can I do? He's like, I will walk from this if I am not allowed <laughs> if to. If I am not the music director, director as well. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, okay. The police come and they take Annie back to the orphanage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Andy runs away. Enter Grace, Grace Farrell, Farrell, who is private secretary to, to Oliver Warbucks, Warbucks, the, the billionaire. billionaire, the multi-billionaire. I think they say she is there because he needs kind of a, a publicity lift. Yeah, he's got a bad public image because he's because he's rich tool and he made all his money on war profiteering. Yeah, yeah. So they have decided to bring an orphan in for the holidays and that will be like you know a like, great photo op nice yeah what a what a stupid thing to do like what a fake charitable thing like he could have given a million dollars to the orphans of new york instead mm-hmm. one orphan mm-hmm. gets to spend essentially like maybe one two nights in a nice house also i love like no no questions raised of like 
will she be cared for in no. this random home? They're like, no, he's a billionaire. He must be great. I'll tell you what, if this was like real life, you know what that billionaire would be doing with that little girl. I don't have to spell it out for you. Oh my gosh, we're not going there. Well, well actually, we are going there with it because the, pro- the one of the other problems with this musical is that if Annie is a little too old, I it saw, reads romantic. Yes, it's I saw strange. I saw an Annie where the girl was like maybe 11, mm. 12. And, and you, you know, that's that age where they get those, like, really long, skinny legs. And oh, then, boy. And then you put the short red dress on her, and she sits on Daddy Warbuck's knee, and you're oh, like, this looks creepy. gross. It looks really creepy. I, I, you're telling me I did it with a 40-year-old Annie. But that's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Oh, I loved her. She was so good. And I love how stressed out she was. Of course. Would you she, be? She's like, I am. If they were like, you're playing Annie and Annie in five days, wouldn't you freak the fuck out if you hadn't done it in like 20 years but also there would be and something really And then there were really cameras freeing. everywhere. What is well, now that would see. see now that would be creepy. Like, me, oh, the world is going to see this. Great. When she has her breakdown in her journal moment and she's like, "Oh my gosh, I don't know why I'm doing this." That would be me on reality television. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I avoid it like the plague yeah. because I know I would Yeah. become incredibly emotional talking about my family or something and then and then, then I'd be crying on Netflix forever, forever. Instead, I cry on a podcast and everybody <laughs> Do you cry on this podcast? Do. When do you cry? Are you going to cry already, today? No, I don't think I'll I cry today. I've already me. cried. I cried on Fiddler on the Roof and I cried sure. in Peter Pan. Oh. It's when you go through the plot and then you become like emotionally invested and then it all comes out. Listen to my show. It's good. I listened to Mary Jo Catlett. Did you? Oh, she's yeah. Fantastic. That was fabulous. I yeah, listened she's to that wonderful. the other day in the car. Yeah, she's that so, was a great episode. So Thank you. I loved hearing all, the, all of her stuff. So Grace... Chooses Annie because Annie's, Annie's there. there. She's there. She's, She's like, there. I'll take that one. That one. She doesn't give a shit. She's efficient. Yeah, so. that's right. She doesn't have time. <laughs> She's the private secretary to all of our goddamn Warbucks. <laughs> she does not have time to be picking out an orphan. No. She says, you, get in the car. You've seen one, you've seen them all. Honestly, that's how I feel about orphans and all children in general. <laughs> Do you know something? Here's something true about me. I cannot tell a child's age to save my life. You could tell me that kid was six months old or three years old, and I would believe you because I have no point of reference, and I do not know how old children are, and I do not care. I understand what you're saying, though. I have a difficult time with that, too, and so I always ask, what grade are you in? Because I'm really good what at knowing what three? What if they're three or four or oh, two? They don't know, have a grade. I mean, I know that. I don't. I know four and under. I'm like, does that child look like they could get into Disneyland for free? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes you see a child and you think, oh, I could have a reasonable conversation with that person. And then you find out they still wear diapers. It's hard enough for me sometimes to talk to my students and they're like 21. That's And I'm like, you have, no, you have no experience in the world. What are we going to talk about? Kids freaking crack me up. My, really? The things that come out of my nephew's mouths are... The things that come out of their asses. Well, I, that's not my problem. That's somebody's problem and I don't want to deal with it. Stay away. Do you know what though? It's different. Like, do you have a dog? No, but I have fostered many dogs, and I love them very much. Yeah, when when my—I have a dog named Little Dude, and he's the <laughs> sweetest. And I get—and, like, his poop doesn't gross me out oh, at no, all. all poop grosses me out. And But it's different when it's someone else's dog. I'm like, you disgusting thing. What have yeah, you created? Yeah. But when it's Little Dude's poop, I'm like, oh, good job, buddy. Proud of you. You squeezed it out. Really? Yeah, like, it doesn't bother me. All right. And, and I've heard that from my siblings about children. Now, once they get to adult food, yeah, there are five of us and I have 13 nieces and nephews. Wow. Yeah, 13? I have three nephews. Really? Total. Oh my gosh, they're the best. From two siblings. 
and I my nieces and nephews. More, I would forget their names if I had more. Her I name, grew up with a friend named Jennifer, and she had siblings who were like Jessica and Jason and John. It was like a whole J family. Mm-hmm. Their parents also were both Js, mm-hmm. and I found the whole thing absolutely nauseating. <laughs> absolutely. Like, I had to chew back the bomb. It was that Honestly, bad. Yeah, like seeing some poor productions of Annie. It is that <laughs> Annie can go really quickly from a brilliantly crafted sort of moody period piece that has something to say about socioeconomic conditions into nauseous schlock. Christmas family schlock. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Okay, what happens next? Oh, I think I'm going to like it here. She comes to the mansion. Yes. Meets a bunch of servants. She thinks she's there to clean. Right. Which tells you a little <laughs> bit about adorable. her mental state and condition. Yes. Well, it's adorable, but it's also like, oh my God, what have, like, you, been, what have you been through? Wow. What kind of Pavlov yeah. problem have you? You see a house, you think you're there to clean it. <laughs> They're like, no, no, there's a, there's a tennis court. And, and you're going to play it, and, and we're going to get Don Budge. We're, we're get what a fucking Don reference. Budge There's more musicals should reference Don Budge. Can we ask the real question that's important about this musical? Please do. I'm dying to know what it is. What's a Mickey Finn? <laughs> <laughs> Martin Sharnan with all of his, like, that's a lot 1930s of references. stuff. Uh, that's, a brand, that's a specific sort of breed so, of homosexual that knows all the holds. <laughs> and guess what? You're the new version. I'm Congratulations. The I'm the new Martin Sharnan. Yeah. Everyone. Stand back. I'm going to re- direct little girls, everything. How about in Little Girls when he rhymes, breathe them with see them, but because you don't take the breath, breathe them, see them becomes an actual rhyme, even though actually those words don't rhyme. Wow. I know. That's actually genius. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, by the way, I looked up what Mickey Finn is. Are you ready? Oh, great. What is it? Mickey Finn, nowadays we would call like a Bill Cosby. Where Mickey Finn was this gangster guy, and he would slip things into people's oh, drinks sure, so that sure, he sure. could do whatever he needed to yeah. and have them out of commission. Yeah, like a um, uh, like um, a roofie. A roofie, that's the word. And yeah. so they would call these beverages Mickey Finns. Because you would, they would make you so intoxicated that you could be raped. It, it was more like that he could steal your money because oh, he was a gangster. He didn't. Oh, he was oh, more interested in that than the other. Oh, okay. Well, that makes one of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So after, uh, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Which is a great, there's a great moment. That's my favorite moment of that encore episode, I will say, to bring it back to that for two seconds, is is Patty DePuma as Mrs. Greer, soap, no bubbles, I think. And when she's out with Mike Starr. Trying to rehearse it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Do you know Mike Starr? Yes, absolutely. Of course, everyone here does. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great moment of television so, where she is rehearsed then. When she says, maybe I'll do it Italian. No. <laughs> Sopa, no bubbles, I think. It like, sounds like nothing, no person who's ever existed. Okay. Um, All right. So welcome. She's in the house and Daddy Warbucks Daddy comes Warbucks home. comes home. He doesn't really a care for her. tyrant, isn't he? Yeah. Well, he's a Republican. He's there you go. Tight-fisted. Mm-hmm. And he's not a big fan of her, but he's like, whatever. I'm glad, you know, if it needs to happen for the publicity, it needs to happen. He's like, I'll have this dirty child running around my pristine home. (laughs) Just don't get your footprints Not enough good publicity in the world for me to do that, P.S. I think you'd be surprised how much you'd love orphans. (laughs) (laughs) Only if if they do the cleaning, quite frankly. (laughs) And hey, they might already be prepared. How much you'd love orphans. What happens? Is it NYC next? Yeah, so next is NYC. So uh, Warbucks decides that he's going to take Annie out on the town, thanks to uh, Grace Farrell's gentle nudging. 
And so they go out to NYC. They see all of the, mm-hmm. the great things about the city that she's never seen before. Yeah, and including a, a belting unemployed actress. Exactly. That's what you need. By the name of Lori Beachman. That's People might not know who Lori Beachman is. They should. They should. She is one of the best belters of all mm-hmm. time. The original narrator in, in Joseph, Joseph and the Amazing Famously mm-hmm. did um, Grizabella for a long time, right? Yes. And Cats. And passed away Very much too soon. of cancer. Yes. Yeah. What I love about Laurie Beachman in this show is that when you listen to that original cast recording, you're like, is there just a second soprano who's singing at the top of her lungs? Yes, it's Laurie yes, Beachman. the whole show. The whole show. Belting everything. And it's thrilling. Yeah. It's so fun to listen to. Ignore everybody else and just try and pick Laurie Beachman out of the ensemble. Do you know it would be like a fun story, maybe, like some sort of biopic on Laurie Beachman? On Laurie Beachman. That's, we, need, we don't need another Judy. We need a Laurie, Laurie Beachman. Beachman movie. We've already got me in my shadows. Thank you. <sighs> oh, don't even get me started on... <laughs> Judy Davis was so brilliant. So brilliant. After NYC, we go back to the orphanage. Oh, I think we skipped Little Girls. Um, oh, so we revisit the orphanage and... Uh, Miss Hannigan, Ms. Hannigan doesn't, like girls. doesn't like her. She doesn't like Little Girls, even yeah. though this is her occupation. Yeah. But the she end. can't leave her job because she's stuck because it's the Depression. So she sings this number called Little Girls and all the girls sort of torment her. And Dorothy Loudon's amazing. Yeah. End of story. End of, that's all you need. So then when we come back to the orphanage again, we meet Miss Hannigan's brother, who's named Rooster. And his girlfriend is Lily St. Regis, named named after after the the hotel. hotel. Jinx. (laughs) And and they're con artists. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're like living outside the law. Which, I mean, let's be honest, they're trying to do their best. Yeah, but they're also, like, not necessarily bright people. Which makes it more funny. Exactly. To see them They're fail. They're sort of, it's very sort of gangster in his mall, mm-hmm. but, like, idiots and not successful at it. Right. Yeah. They got all the attitude, none of the skill. Correct. It turns out that Miss Hannigan and Rooster had a pretty terrible mom who uh, taught mm-hmm. them some pretty bad stuff. Yeah, some bad lessons, which now Miss Hannigan's probably passing on to these poor children. Right. You know. And so they kind of sing about it in this song called Easy Street, which is a great number, mm-hmm. great trio. And, you know, originally in the movie, Easy Street was like a big number. Yeah. A big number in the streets of New York with a giant chorus, and they went back and, and re-shot it. the ending. Have you heard the story? So Carol Burnett, after she got done filming the the film version of Annie... She had always wanted to get a chin implant because she didn't feel That's like she right. had a chin. Do you know what? So I she also really want a chin implant. Really? And I think I might you're, get one. You look great. No, not from the side. Look, it's very small. No, you I look want great. it just a little bit bigger. No. But so she got one. Mm-hmm. She got a chin implant mm-hmm. after Annie. And then they called her and said, we're redoing Redo, yeah. Easy Street. And she's like, I have a new chin. So she says she always kids that in the movie she goes into a closet without a chin and yes, then comes, comes out, out of the closet one. with one. If you look very carefully. I have to rewatch this movie. Isn't that awesome? It is so awesome, and I want the same thing to happen to me. Oh, After Easy Street is your favorite song. You won't be an orphan, won't be an orphan for, long. for long. It's not my favorite song. It's your I favorite song. I never really thought about it until I was just re-listening to the cast recording yesterday for this very podcast, and I was like, oh, wait, no, this is actually like, it's this a is sort of a bop. Thing. Yeah, it's sort of a bop. And the reason that everybody sings it in the mansion, in the Warbucks mansion, is because they're going to get the FBI involved in the search for their for her parents for Annie's parents. Yeah, yeah, which is really great. So then, the second act, we come back, and they have not only enlisted the FBI; they've enlisted. 
the local media. Right. So, right? We're at Guy Smiley's. Is it Guy Smiley? Wait, who sings on the radio? Yeah. Guy Smiley? Bert, Bert, Bert Healy. Healy. Who's Who the hell's Guy Smiley? I don't know. I kind of want to look it person. up. Wait a minute. Who's Guy Smiley? Bert Healy. Yeah, no, you're right. It is uh, Bert Healy. He's on, so they go on to Guy Bert Guy Smiley he- is... A fictional oh, character on, on from Sesame, Sesame Street. <laughs> he's America's favorite game show host on Sesame Street. Of course, guys, smiley. So they're at the they're at Bert Healy's studio. Yeah, and Danny's going on the radio. Going to on the radio, the search exactly. Mm-hmm. And they sing "You're Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile." Another great jam. That's a bop. Come hey, on, oh, and then the, when the girls take it over, it's very, it's very Show sort of her. a precursor to like "Mama Who Bore Me" and "Mama Who Bore Me" reprise, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> that's exactly what I think of. And you're like, that's a cute number, that's fine, and then the girls take it over and they make it into something else, and it hits hard. Yeah, I love it. I wonder if that's what inspired Anne Marie Malazzo to do that vocal arrangement. Let's ask Anne Marie. I, I, I will ask her. She, she won't know what I'm talking about. She'll be like, "What's Annie? I've never heard of it." <laughs> Then, after you're never fully dressed, big crowd pleaser, Mm -hmm. they go to Washington, D.C. to meet FDR himself. Why do they do that again? They've already got the FBI, right? Right. I think it's more that Daddy had to go. He he was meeting with him anyway. And he goes with him. So they're fighting about politics, Mm -hmm. right? Republican versus Democrat. And then Annie uh, is chiming in. Thanks, little orphan. Right? Yeah, you which be, is, let let the adults speak. Please, which is certainly the how the cabinet, uh, you know, responds to her. Yeah, as they should. Because right? what is she even doing there? And then FDR is like, actually, I, I kind of want to hear what this kid has to say. And so she sings a reprise of tomorrow. Yeah, and then everybody which is has great to join when in. they all join. That is a beautiful moment. I will it give is. it to them. That's a great scene. And. It also is kind of like this weird fan fiction where you're like, where did FDR get all of his optimism? And it's like, maybe he got it from Orphan Annie. Do you know what? FDR is the only president who was elected three times. Well, because then you couldn't do it anymore after that, right? Exactly. They changed the rule. Certainly not a like a perfect president by all means, but what a symbol for that time period, though. Like a president in a wheelchair who can't even yeah. walk. Yeah, polio. Like, how amazing. To kind of put your faith and then he in like that saved, type of leader. And he saved the country basically and with his New Deal and for all sure. that. Yeah. And I think that's really cool and inspiring and, and kind of so art too. artistic in a way. After tomorrow, Annie kind of changes everything about that meeting, mm. which is one of the big moments for Daddy Warbucks to realize, oh, I I really care about this this person. I want her to be a part of my family. Yeah. Yeah. And so he sings uh, Something Was Missing, which actually is a really beautiful yeah. song. And there's another song that was written for... In Act One. In Act One. What is he saying? Uh, the other ballad. Um, um, why Should I Change a Thing? Why Should I Change a Thing? Is that what it's called? Yes. And that's what, like, Anthony Warlow sang in the revival. Yeah. Okay. Where he's like, I don't need to change anything. Oh, right. He thinks his life is complete, but actually it's not complete because he doesn't have a child, which is something I think a lot of gays go through at one point in their life. And to them, I say, no, your life is complete. Stay the way you are. This world is overpopulated. There's also great options for adoption. That's right. And foster care. Be inspired by Annie. Exactly. And by Daddy Warbucks. Get an orphan. Let's go ahead and take that back where you say, and to them, I say. And to them, I say, adopt. Don't shop. There are so many children in the world just like Annie, who need a home, and they are valid. And what if they inspire you to create the next New Deal? One never knows. This 
announcement was made possible by Adam Wachter for president. <laughs> so then he, he's like, all right, kid, we can't find your parents. Right. So I'm going to adopt you. And she's like, oh, really? Okay, awesome. Mm. Let's be a family. And yeah. they sing, I don't need, need anything. Anything, but... anything, 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 <laughs> anything. What if it just kept going up and they just never got to the end? I'd be okay with it. I want to see it. Lori Beachman could do it. Yeah, Lori Beachman could do it. Yeah. There's like random maid who just comes in. <laughs> she just um, keeps singing higher and higher and higher. But in the meantime, that is all kind of thrown out the window because her parents show up. And by her parents, I mean Rooster and Lily St. Regis mm-hmm. dressed up as her parents. That's right. And because they have Miss Hannigan in their back pocket, they the know secrets. about the locket and the note. Yep. So they come in. And the Warbucks are like, oh, I, okay, I guess these are the parents. But their plan doesn't work. And do you remember why? No. Because, <laughs> because Grace Farrell recognizes oh, Rooster. Oh, or what does he say? He says, hi, Blondie. Blondie. Yeah. That's right. I should remember that. We did it in an encore thing. Hi, Blondie. She clocks that this is Rooster in disguise. Exactly. Yeah. When she was at the orphanage a gajillion times. Correct. So and, you get the adoption paper signed. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And so then their cover's blown, and now we have to get Annie off stage because she has to change into that curly wig Mm -hmm. and the red dress. Annie, Annie, here she is, top of the staircase, coming down like Dolly Levi. And (laughs) Martin Chardon could never. (laughs) Just borrowing everything from Gower. So she's coming down the staircase. With her arms in that third arabesque. Let's talk about the curly hair for a minute because yes. as someone who has curly hair, speaking to someone who does not, Fine. I find it very affirming that um, that she is made more attractive by getting curly hair. There so you to go. Speak, Instead of ironing it out. That's right. That's right. Natural is the way to go. We're going to say that she's a natural girl and she didn't like it. So she's been ironing it her whole life. They took her up. They just spritzed it a little bit. Boing. Came back to life. And they all live happily ever after uh, by singing, we get a new deal for Christmas. Because then FDR shows up to the house along with the orphans. Oh, oh, this is all on Christmas Day. This is all on Christmas Day. Yeah. And that's the new deal. And it's his new deal for the country. And he's like, Annie, you've inspired my politics. Yeah. I now have this new deal where it's the country's going to be saved. All the orphans are going to get adopted. Yeah. Yeah. And here comes Sandy the dog. Who can ask for anything more? How did Sandy come back to us? We don't know. I don't know. Sandy doesn't know where that house is. And Sandy only met Annie for like a good 30 minutes. But it was enough. It they, was enough. She's because been looking she sang that song. everywhere for Annie. The dog yeah. was inspired. And is it implied that by like, Michael Price. Daddy Warbucks is adopting all of the orphans? I kind of feel like that is <laughs> the, the case. Can you imagine two days ago he was like, I guess for a PR stunt we should like have an orphan come stay for Christmas? And you know there. what I call that? What? A character arc. <laughs> <laughs> then two days later he's adopted a daughter and is housing seven more female orphans. Absolutely. Make yeah. you have the real estate. You can go in your, you know, West Wing. Yeah, where is that house, by the way? We're talking, we, we think this house is in Manhattan. That's the implication. I don't know where that mansion is now. That's something. I hope you held on to that property. Uh, it's not like he needed the money. Yeah. I hope he donated it, and now it's like a museum. You know what he could donate is that big old diamond. What if it was like, now, I've, I've, and now Daddy Warbucks is dead, and he's left his house to the city, and it's now the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It was that big. That's actually the sequel to Annie that I would have liked to have seen, where Daddy Warbucks dies, and Annie inherits everything, and then yeah. she has to figure out what to do with all of the What to do, and she just becomes like Tilda Swinton and Okja. <laughs> 
All right, let's go to our Tony Awards, shall we? Okay. So in the night in what is this? Nineteen seventy-seven. Okay, nineteen seventy-seven. Is when not a lot of competition. N- not a lot of competition, but a really interesting trend going on What's the trend? Broadway at this point. So like we said, New York City, a little scary, mm-hmm. specifically in the theater district. The musicals up for best musical this year are Annie, I Love My Wife, which is like it's about s- swingers. Um, <laughs> side by side by Sondheim. Review. Which is a review. a review of Sondheim stuff. Yeah. And Happy End. Which one is that? Happy End is a three-act musical comedy by Kurt Vile and <gasps> Bertolt Brecht. And it was new that year? It was in Germany and then closed after seven performances. And so then – and that was in like the 1920s and it hadn't ever been done on Broadway before. Oh, so this now. was the first – and we didn't have all sort of the Tony committee probably to decree that this was a revival at that well, time. And there were there were revivals because yeah. this was also the all-African-American Guys and Dolls year. Right, right. Um, but for some reason, they thought it was should be considered they decided an original this was a piece new because maybe it had never been in America. So that was that, those were the best musical nominees. But the other big shows on Broadway were uh, "Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God" and yes. Go- and Godspell, which Godspell had been off Broadway but never on Broadway. Oh, both of those are musical retellings of the Book of Matthew. Both of them, and oh. they were on Broadway at the same time. And I thought Annie. Godspell was about Jesus. It is. I haven't read the Bible. It's okay. So like <laughs> in the traditional Holy Bible, you got Old Testament, New Testament, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. New yeah, Testament, yeah. the first four, four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, okay. are all different accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And are they very different? Like different things there happened? Are like, there are th- Which one do you believe? Point of views. There's nothing – there's, like, no real contradicting stuff. It's just, like, people point out things more than the other. Interesting. This is very, like, like 2000 – the year 2000 with the Wild Party. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But what's kind of fun is that there are – some of them are better writers than others. Yeah, it sounds real fun. <laughs> no, but – so Godspell and, and Your Arms Are Too Short to Box With God are both musical retellings of Matthew. Why? And they, right? And then you've got Annie – you have this trend of... Is Annie also secretly a retelling of something from the Bible? Well, I mean, no, but it's so oh. optimistic and so much about love and hope and, you know, joy. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if Broadway's just trying to send some God to New York City, like this godless But interesting that those two district. weren't nominated, or were they nominated as revivals? They weren't, um, they weren't nominated for Best Musical. They were nominated for Best Score, I believe. Interesting that Godspell would be nominated for Best Score, even though it had already premiered off-Broadway so long ago. Do we have anything else? What are your... What are your takeaways? What do you like? What do you well, love? Do we want to talk about the sequels? No, because we don't really no, know. No, I mean, there are sequels, everyone. There's two, and neither of them were a hit. And I'll probably, maybe I'll do an episode about musical sequels, and that will be fun. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you love about Annie. the show? Yeah. Do you want me to read the things that yes. I wrote? Yes. Yes. Okay, so before the show, I, I asked him to write down three things that he secretly loves about the show. Okay. I mean, it's not secretly. It's like three yeah. things I actually love. I don't think Annie's a perfect musical, but I don't think so. it's bad. Mm-hmm. I still think it like has quality. The score is very high quality. Okay, so first and foremost, we've already touched on it, the curled hair. Yes. <laughs> 
I <laughs> the curly hair sends a very powerful message to everybody that curly hair is attractive. Yes. And in fact can be more attractive sometimes than sort of floppy hair that just lays there. I think for a long time, and certainly in some specific cultures, straight hair has been prized. But we are back. Curly hair. Annie has helped us usher back in a great time for curly hair. Embrace it. Embrace your curls. Do you know what? Even recently, I got my hair cut the other day, and the guy who cut my hair was like, oh, you should really try to find a product that'll tame these curls. And I said, why would I want to tame these curls? These curls, annoying as they can be sometimes, they are just as beautiful. I'm not going to invest in money to tame these curls. Thank you very much. The Um, only tame I'm interested in is Julie Tamer. The only tame I'm interested in is the magic show Lion Tamer. (laughs) Okay, number two. Oh, you're not – I'm doing all mine first? Yes. Okay. Number two, the dog. I'm a big fan of adoption of children and dogs, but especially dogs. Adopt, don't shop. I love that so many dogs have been rescued as a result of productions of Annie. I love Bill Berloni's story about finding his career path in working with animals through the – through the original production of Annie. And I just love, um, you know, that we can offer some animals employment in the musical theater where I think they all really yearn to be. They don't even know it. They want that instant feedback from the audience. Oh, yeah. They really do. I think they thrive on it. Every performance, it's a little bit like what's going to happen. Is the dog going to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Great. The dog. All right, number three. (laughs) I love these. I love these. Christmas. Number three is Christmas. And it's a secret because I'm quite clearly Jewish. I mean, not practicing or religious, but... Certainly raised Jewish, did not grow up with Christmas in my home Mm -hmm. to speak of. I've always secretly wanted to celebrate Christmas. And through Annie, I've had sort of an opportunity to because every time you see Annie, you get a big old Christmas tree at the end of the show. And it's everything. That Christmas tree is awesome. I love a Christmas tree. I love Christmas. I love like the feelings that it evokes and the music of Christmas. I would much rather see Annie than a Christmas carol. I think it's a risky move to put Christmas in your musical or any holiday, I guess, yeah. because it does sort of cement it in a, a time. And you might worry, like, oh, do people want to see Annie in the spring? But they do. People they always do. want to see Annie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here are my, okay, here are my confessions. Okay, dying to know. Confession number one, full body chills in the overture every single time. So good. It's a great overture. With the, it starts with the trumpet, right? And then the trombone mm-hmm. comes in. And then Oh my gosh, it makes me so happy. That harpsichord, terrific. It's a great orchestration. Great orchestrations, the originals. Wonderful. Yeah. Number two, that movie from the eighties, the eighties version, is generally a good film. Was considered a disaster. Was it? It was. It was. It like one Razzies. You know, it was really. It was considered one of the worst. And we just don't see it because we grew up with it, so we don't know exactly. And it was directed by John Huston. Wow. And John like, Huston's father. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, multi-academy award winner. There was this really strange period in time in film when all of these big high-profile directors decided to start making musicals I in the that. late 70s. love it. You had Peter Bogdanovich doing A Long Last Love, uh-huh. uh, Robert Altman doing Popeye, right. John Huston doing Annie. All of them total flops. Yeah. Because it takes a skill to do a musical. It it's does. not something you can just sort of... Do. You need to know the art form and the genre and like some of the tropes of it to understand it. For sure. Yeah. That being said, <laughs> there are the things. There are things in that Annie movie that I adore. Carol Burnett's amazing. amazing. They have that. She has that Tim great Curry. duet with her and um and Daddy Warbucks, 
when he because he goes to try and get her to sign the papers, and they have this uh, song called "Sign." Oh yeah, and she's like, I um, about "I'll that. call you Ali, Mahatamali." It's so fun. <laughs> she's it's so great. good in that movie, isn't she? Just drunk as just all so like she is just doing a giant performance for the screen, and yet somehow it really works. detailed. At, yeah, at the same oh, because she's Carol Burnett. Yeah, you can't beat her. And then any excuse to have. And ranking on film dancing sure. is worth it to me. Sure. So they've got that whole We Got Annie number. Yeah. Interesting that like, Grace is always sort of thought of as this beacon of warmth in Annie. Mm-hmm. And then you get Annie Ryan King, who's probably right. one of the coldest human beings to ever exist. <laughs> or at least appears that way. Mm-hmm. And is playing this character. And yet, very warm. You know, you know, there was a lot of sort of cigarette smoke headed in Aileen Quinn's face in those <laughs> scenes. You know, Annie Ryan King was like, Hi, Annie. <sighs> I saw Eileen Quinn curly hair wilting. Do, <laughs> I saw Eileen Quinn do uh, "Unsinkable Molly Brown." Oh, and she was—is she still? So she's still performing. I mean, this was years ago. Okay, and she uh, was exactly the same. It was exactly the same performance. Really? Yeah, like all of the same beats. Nothing had changed. Maybe that's why she hasn't gotten so much more work after becoming a movie star. With sounds Andy. great. God, still got great. Hasn't voice. hasn't hurt Quavon's and A. Wallace. Okay, my last confession is sometimes at the gym, I listen to Annie, and it's the Sia version, and I love it. Wow. Like like while you're getting a hand job in the steam room? No! Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, my god! While you're actually working out, so it's yes. got a beat to it. Yes. <laughs> Please include why. that. Please include I... that. You must. You absolutely must. That was good. That was so good. You must include it. <laughs> I have a reputation as being funny, so you have to include some of these jokes, even the ones that you, as a Mormon, think are inappropriate. <laughs> Okay, fine. Thank you. Um, here's my thing with Sia. She's a genius. Yes. And sometimes I hear a Sia song and I think, oh, I like this little part, but it's not enough for me to like the entire song. Okay. And I then and then I come back to it and I listen to it again and I go, no, I was wrong. It's totally enough for me to like the whole song. Okay. And that's how I feel about the movie soundtrack. So you the love the Sia anime. moments so much that you're that you will suffer through what the, they did to are, Charles Strauss's and score. Yeah, the 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 score and the lyrics have been, you know, butchered and sliced up, but there are these moments of production and like arranging mm-hmm. and producing mm-hmm. that hit and make me happy and it somehow Good. is totally worth it. All right. I don't know why, but okay. it's true. The I think I'm going to like it here where Rose Byrne has that horrible alto line. It's like, oh. yes, yes, think I'm going to like it here. Yes, yes. Like It's it's so terrible, and <laughs> I live for it. It's really oh, – it's, okay. it's, it fuels my workout sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Only every once in a while. Whatever gets you through. There Whatever are things, gets you through. There are moments of that soundtrack that I refuse to listen to, sure. however. Sure. Little girls won't being one of them. I – as an addendum to my list of secret things, secretly sort of like that little girls <gasps> with Cameron Diaz a little bit. Only when when when, when actually paired with the video. Because I think it is so there's something so cringe. It's like the cats film. It's like there's something so off and cringy and wrong about and it. And you can't look away. And there's something that sort of works for me as a little bit of I a get giggle it. fest. I get it. I think the idea to have done that new Annie is so good. It's great. It's great. I, I would I would put know. it on. I'd put it on for my nieces and nephews. Yeah. Thank I'm you so, so much. Sorry. Is that it? That's what we're ending yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Here's the thing about Annie. What is it about Annie? I like it. Good. It's a well-constructed musical. For sure. And I can't think of anything like it. 
Oliver. Do you know what? That is interesting that you yeah. bring that up because Tom Meehan said that he wanted to approach he Annie would. like a Dickens And I think story. actually his novelization is very similar. It's less – there is still the Daddy Warbucks element, but you spend a lot more time um, in the time that she runs away from the orphanage. And that doesn't last like a few hours like it does in the musical. It lasts for months. Mm-hmm. And it is more Dickensian and that it's like a sprawling epic over a long period of time. What I mean by I can't think of anything like it, it's – a musical that seems like it's a golden age musical, something that was written in the 50s and 60s, and yet it's written at the end of the 70s. Yeah. So it automatically doesn't feel like it belongs in the canon of old school classic musical theater, mm. and yet it brings up the feelings of yeah. old school classic musical It's got musical great like, big band arrangements, but then it also has like weird 70s Weird 70s stuff. Pop stuff, like at the beginning of NYC. And, no, you're yeah, exactly right. It spans a lot of sort of musical genres, and yet all feels kind of... Cohesive. cohesive and it all fits together. And it was also in this like weird transitionary period where what is the purpose of an ensemble in a musical now? And do we hear from them? Do they step out? This is like post-chorus line. So it really – it exists in a In a interesting place where Charles Strauss is obviously – attacking it from like a very old school traditional golden agey place but maybe Tommy Hen who is, would have been sort of young at mm-hmm. that time is coming at it from a more contemporary lens trying to do something more serious and, the, and then you've got Martin Sharnan like piecing it all together so anyway it's an interesting show was Chorus Line already going by then? Mm-hmm. yeah yeah was that 75? 75, 76 wow I wonder what people thought that like Chorus Line is playing here at the Schubert and then like what is that seven blocks up the road well, that's what I'm saying is like you had Chorus Line, you had Dancing, you had all of these like kind of dark shows. Yeah, it was like the Fosse days. And then it hits 77 and everyone's like, oh my gosh, we need some light and hope and love in this place. And so they you have see, Godspell it's cyclical, and Annie. Isn't it? You see that happening over and over again where like we just get ready for a where we want to see Hello Dolly again or mm-hmm. we want to see Drowsy Chaperone or we want to see something that harkens back and makes us sort of forget. And then we have periods where we really want to like attack Explore. things seriously and mm-hmm. try to stretch the art form and do things like that. And then we're like, never mind escapism. We need escapism. Yeah. It goes back and forth, doesn't it? It really does. It ebbs and flows. Yeah. Wow. And certain musicals, I think, that maybe were flops or successes in certain years would have been something else in a different year. And they are. I think that that's the reason why if if you poo-poo Annie, if you don't like it, I mean, stick around for 10 years and maybe the country will be in a place where all of a sudden we're craving for it. You know, that's I think the not thing. even 10 years, maybe one or two. Yeah. You, you just never know with art what, yeah. what life and the circumstances surrounding it give birth within us to 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 want to consume yeah absolutely look at like the case of mama mia people always say like would mama mia be the juggernaut that it is if it hadn't opened right at 9 11 when people so desperately wanted to escape exactly it's a great art form and it It is is. is always one example and it's always incredibly reflective of who we are and what we're and what's going on so very much so thanks for tuning in everybody if you have any suggestions about shows that you want us to cover here on a musical theater podcast you can always email me at a musical podcast at gmail.com also be sure to follow us on instagram and twitter at a musical podcast for more great content Adam, how do we follow you? How do we keep up with you? You can follow me on Instagram or on Twitter at Zebra Adam. Or you can check out my website, adamwalker.com. Listen to my music. Make sure to tune into Encore. Yeah, it's oh really yeah, fun. watch Encore on Disney+. Plus. Mm. Hopefully we'll be back sooner than later. And this has been a pleasure. Thanks, Jeff, for having Thank me. Thank you. I'll have to come back. We'll do another one. 
yeah. a musical I know better. <laughs> no, this, this, this was really fun. Thank <laughs> oh, you so good. much for coming in. Thank you. And uh, to everybody out there, you know what? Tomorrow, it's only a day away. Before we finish, sorry. <laughs> is it... Is it only a day away or always a day away? Oh, because different versions have different lyrics. You're right, and we didn't talk about that, but maybe nobody cares. Maybe nobody cares. Do you know what I always think about with tomorrow? Rosie what? O'Donnell once on her show said that she always swallows her gum, and you want to know why? Because the gum will come out tomorrow. Oh my God! Bye, everybody. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.